2. Um, and let me read the first little section, which is at the end of Acts chapter 2, verse 42. And then I'll move over to uh, chapter 4. So that's on page 1094 in your Bibles. Verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as he had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Then turn over to the end of chapter 4, verse 32. And again, a parallel passage. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of his possessions was his own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and much grace was upon them all. There were no needy persons among them, for from time to time, those who owned lands or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold a field he owned, and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet." And I'm going to hand straight over to Sarah. Sarah, thank you. Hello. I'm going to do the first bit, and then Dan's going to do the second bit. Um, <clears throat> so we're making our way through the story of Jesus' followers in the book called Acts, which looks at what Jesus' um, followers believed and how they acted after Jesus had died and came back, come back to life and returned to heaven. We followed this originally small group of followers and seen them to be filled with the Holy Spirit for the first time in chapter 2 and then freshly filled again in chapter 4, just as Jesus had promised a few weeks before when he said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate, like a friend or supporter, someone who's with you, to help you and be with you forever. And then we've watched as this small group of followers becomes a big group, joined every day by hundreds of local people who liked what they saw and heard about Jesus, who began to understand that his love and sacrifice offered them forgiveness and a fresh start, and who said yes to the chance of wiping the slate clean and being given power to live a different kind of life, the kind of life, the life to the full that Jesus always promised. And so today we've reached the part where Luke, one of Jesus' followers who wrote this book, describes what this first community of freshly spirit-filled um, Jesus followers uh, looked like and what they did together. <clears throat> so the verses um, Christine read, did you know that some of um, these verses are just some of more than 2,000 verses in the Bible about people who are poor or in need? Just one that reveals God's unstinting, unwavering love and care, which seems particularly for people who are poor. He absolutely loves everybody, thankfully. But time and time again throughout the Bible, he speaks against injustice, poverty, and material inequality, and the effects that these have on the lives of people who are precious in his sight. So from the law book of Deuteronomy, where he says there should be no poor among you, to the Psalms, who is like you, Lord? You rescue the poor from those too strong for them, the poor and needy from those who rob them. 
to Proverbs, whoever is kind lends to the Lord and he will reward them for what they have done. Or less positively, whoever shuts their ears to the cry of the poor will also cry out and not be answered. To the prophets like Isaiah, who said, you have been a refuge for the poor, a refuge for the needy in their distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. And then to the New Testament, where Jesus sets out his stall at the very start of his public ministry. Quoting from the uh, the prophet Isaiah, he says, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind and to set the oppressed free. Jesus regularly said things like, Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out a treasure in heaven that will never fail where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. In fact, he identified himself so closely with those who are poor that he said, if you cared for the poor, the hungry, the prisoners, you're actually caring for me. So throughout the Gospels, we see Jesus almost always with or near people who are on the margins of society. Those who are poor, people who are disabled, those who are physically or mentally unwell, those who weren't considered well-behaved. He didn't just talk about them, though. He talked with them. These were Jesus' people, and they became his friends. Because Jesus so often says, follow me, learn from me, do what I do, it makes sense that when we look through history, at those who've been at the forefront of fighting against poverty and injustice, very many of them have been Jesus' followers. For instance, John Wesley, William Wilberforce, Elizabeth Fry, William Booth. You can Google them later. And so it makes sense that when we come here to Acts, to part two of Jesus' ministry on earth, the part where his followers carry on his mission, filled with his power through the Holy Spirit, these themes continue of sacrifice, sharing, and practical and spiritual care as part of a family for people who are poor. Speaking and doing, we see here, are absolutely essential, both of them. We should never have one without the other. And knowing Jesus personally is never an end in itself. It always looks outwards, particularly to those who are poor. So in both of the passages Christine read, we see the same pattern happen. Jesus' followers pray. They're filled or refilled with the power of the Holy Spirit. They talk a lot about Jesus' sacrifice to each other and to the people around them. They stop viewing possessions as their own and see them only as resources to be shared with those in need. And in fact, in chapter 4, it says God's grace was so powerfully at work in them that there were no poor among them. Do you remember that verse from Deuteronomy that said, there should be no poor among you? So here we are, it gets fulfilled. But I just want to focus on a couple of things, those things now, and hopefully you can think about them and pray about them today and during the week before Dan talks about some practical ideas to help us put our thoughts into actions or to keep going if we're already, we've already started. So two things I wonder if we can learn from the early Jesus followers' experience. One, that the concept of downsizing so others might upgrade is a beautiful thing. And two, we're given dynamite power to live differently. So the first one, this concept of downsizing so others might upgrade. I think it might be fair to say we live in a society which always tells us we need something more, better, bigger, faster, lovelier, where what we want becomes actually what we need, which was a BMW advert I heard the other day. 
We are literally bombarded all hours of the day with um, adverts that are designed to make us feel discontent before revealing what we can buy or how we can upgrade that will make us feel content again. But Jesus teaches us the absolute opposite. In an amazing demonstration of his love for us, he downsized from heaven to earth to become human, to demonstrate solidarity with us, to sacrifice himself for us so that we can upgrade from far from perfect people who are distanced from God to far from perfect forgiven people who have been brought close to God and welcomed into his family. This is how the writer of 2 Corinthians puts it. <clears throat> for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. These first followers didn't seem to have any doubts about what Jesus had sacrificed for them, or about downgrading and sharing what they had with those around them who needed stuff. Two things I'm convinced are absolutely related. If we can really understand how amazing God's sacrifice is through Jesus for us, then anything we sacrifice, which may seem big or small to us, is actually small in comparison and always worth it. These early um, Jesus followers even sold houses they owned and brought the cash to the apostles, the first leaders, so they could share with anyone they had in need. But this new community of Jesus didn't just show their, share their financial resources. They seemed to share things that we sometimes maybe hold on to tightly sometimes. Their gifts, their time, their families and their friends. This new community of Jesus was both practical but intensely relational too. They ate together, spent time together, welcomed people into their community. Jesus came from heaven to be with us. That literally is what his name, Emmanuel, means. And I think we're called to actually be with people who are struggling. Beyond projects really important and vital as they are, we're called to become friends with those in need around us. I wonder if we sometimes miss that. Shane Claiborne, someone who spent a lot of time... Um, being with the poor and writing about his experiences, recounts how he asked people who consider themselves strong followers of Jesus if they thought Jesus regularly spent time with people who are poor. 80% said yes, they did. They did think Jesus did that. He then later on snuck another question in, which was, do you spend time with the poor? And any ideas how many people, high or low, two <laughs> percent of people said they actually spent time with people who were poor and in need so Shane writes I learnt a powerful lesson we can admire and worship what Jesus did without do we can admire and worship Jesus without doing what he did we can applaud what he preached and stood for without caring about the same things we can adore his cross without taking up ours if we're followers of Jesus today, I wonder, are we called to downgrade our material goods and aspirations, maybe our career ambitions, maybe our status, and use the time and money this might free up to help people who are poor to upgrade locally in our neighbourhood and across the world? Because I think how we use our days becomes how we use our lives. You know, around us here in Battersea and across the borough, there are real extremes of wealth and deprivation. In Northcote Ward here, child poverty is at less than 10%, while in neighbouring wards, 
it's as high as 45%. That's nearly half of children living in poverty. Last year, for instance, more than 1,000 separate households were referred to Wandsworth Food Bank because they didn't have enough food or enough money to buy food that week. People, you know, we meet through the food bank and other, other ways are struggling with anxiety, depression, the pressure of life, not sure who to turn to, lacking hope for the future. And by the way, if you're struggling here today, and if you feel like if you downsize any further, the wheels would really fall off, then as a church family, you know, we're really here to help each other. And Dan's going to talk a bit, a bit about that later, how you might um, be able to access help if at this point in your life you need some help. But maybe if we're honest, downsizing so others can upgrade may not sound very attractive. We may even think, surely we're not supposed to take this sort of thing literally. Surely it was just for the early church. But I don't think Jesus ever beats around the bush that following him means sharing everything we have with people who have less, always choosing people over things, storing up treasures in heaven rather than treasures on earth, that it will cost us, but it's always worth it. I wonder sometimes if we can fall into the trap of trying to add Jesus into our life. I know I can. Asking him to follow us on our way rather than us following him on his way. It can feel hard to listen to him and obey him, especially in our society, our culture, where um, it's easy and often quite expected to do what's comfortable. Which is why we get to point two, power to live a different way. I love the fact that uh, earlier in chapter 4, the religious leaders look at Peter and John and they say um, about these early church leaders, they are ordinary people with no special training. And I just want you to remember that phrase. Because I think we can often look at other Christians, if we're not one already, and think, well, that's for them. It's not for me. I'm too bad. I'm too self-sufficient. I'm too poor. I'm too all sorts of things. A couple of weeks ago, for instance, I was with a lovely single dad at the food bank. And he said he'd been really wanting to come here to church, but he needed to get himself right first. He had too much going on that he wasn't proud of. And his understanding was you could only come to church once you were sorted. So it was great to chat and pray about how that's the brilliant and beautiful point of grace, that we come as we are to Jesus, and he changes what he needs to over time. Or maybe we look at people we consider really good at caring for those in need, and think that's just for them, for more radical Christians than me, or exceptional ones. But time and time again through the Bible, God chooses to use ordinary people to do his work for him on earth. In fact, I don't think he's ever used anyone else. And he calls all of us to get involved. Ash Barker, who downsized from a home in Australia to live for 12 years with his wife and two little kids in a one-room shack in a slum in Bangkok, He's written a really good book called Make Poverty Personal. And in it he says, no human being is more exceptional than another. This is especially the case when God wants to use humans to be an answer to the misery and suffering over which he weeps. This is not to say we don't have to work hard at identifying and nurturing the skills our unique callings require. But what is required to end poverty and injustice ultimately comes from God. It is God who's exceptional, not us. We need to depend on the giver of gifts. As we go on in life, God gives us the grace and gifts to do what is required. We can scare ourselves by trying to imagine ourselves in future places for which God has not yet given us grace. 
So we end up living cautiously and miss out on the ride of our lives. And I think this is certainly true in my life. I remember sort of 15 or 16 years ago when Dan and I were doing um, training to be cap uh, debt workers up in Bradford. And we kept having to sing a song called Humble King, which has the line, I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. Um, I kept not singing that line, just leaving it out, a little holy mumble, because I wasn't quite sure I was up for it. I knew enough about Jesus and how much he loved people and at what cost that it felt like singing it would be a point of no return for my lovely, comfortable life. It might sound silly, but it was a really deliberate choice for me to sing those words, but eventually I did. And life hasn't been the same since, but in a really good way. With a huge caveat being really far from perfect, I often feel I'm one of those really lucky people who feels this joy of, this is exactly what God has made me to do. Like when I'm at the food bank or hanging out with my friends who are struggling in material need with homelessness, addiction or despair. I I wouldn't swap it for anything. But it's only the grace and power of Jesus through his spirit that transforms us, that transforms these early followers of Jesus, that transforms anyone who considers themselves ordinary. As someone said, um, before Pentecost, the disciples found it hard to do easy things, and after Pentecost, they found it easy to do hard things. I love that here in Acts and in 120 other places through the New Testament, The Greek word for power is dunamos, which is where we get our word dynamite from. We literally are given dynamite power to live a different kind of life when we follow Jesus. We're not supposed to stay the same. Like in the early church, we can all be filled and keep on being filled with this dynamite power to help us start living or keep on living the kind of life Jesus asks us to. We just need to ask him. At which point, I'm going to hand over to Dan... He's got some practical tips. Uh, morning. Um, now, this life-filled uh, community of Jesus, love, and hospitality, in a way, is pretty straightforward. Like I think, like a lot of things in the Bible, it's fairly easy to understand. It's just quite difficult to do. And um, so, I think there's some um, some key barriers that we that I certainly have put up, and talking to other people uh, in, in our lives that prevent us from sharing our lives with other people. Um, the first one, the big one for me, is fear. The sort of fear of embarrassment, fear of uh, being rejected, fear of finding it all a bit too overwhelming. Uh, and we live in a culture where it's really easy just to stay with your type of people and uh, just spend time with people that are like you and, and you know that they like you. Um, and, and also, particularly if you're English, that crippling fear of social awkwardness also makes it very difficult. Um, and... And if, like me, you struggle with a sense of fear of embarrassment or failure, um, the best advice I can give you is what John Kirkby, the founder of CAP, used to say to me constantly, is just do something. Just get out there and do something. Um, Have any of you been to a Spear celebration? Um, What the Spear coaches say to all their graduates there is um, to get outside of their comfort zone. So just walk across the room, talk to that person who you've been meaning to talk to for ages, or that person who looks a bit different to you or who looks alone, go and say hello to them. Um, you know, invite them for dinner, take them out for coffee. Contact one of the fantastic community ministries and see how you can get involved. Um, if you've been meaning to talk to your boss to see if you can maybe change your hours so you can get involved with something, take up some courage and go and do that. Um, and also, the other thing is... Uh, also, I always 
worried about failing or things not being perfect, just to release you from that, in that if you do this, you take part in this, this wonderful life of sharing, you will screw up. You will make mistakes. And that's brilliant. That just shows you're doing something. And you can um, just carry on and keep doing it. And uh, over time, things will get better. Um, also, a great way of overcoming fear, and this is one of the fantastic things about being part of a church, is you can do things together. Because I just think things, doing things as a gang is always much more fun. And being part of Junction Community Trust and setting up the food bank and spear with a great set of people has been uh, a lot of fun and makes it a lot less scary, which is a killer combination in my book. Um, another barrier is not knowing where to start. And again, being part of this church is fantastic because we've got a load of fantastic ministries. And it's a bit self-indulgent, but I'm just going to read out all the brilliant things that we do here. So there's Cheer Lunch for people parenting alone. There's Spear, which works with young people who are struggling to find jobs. There's Food Bank, supporting people in crisis. Christians Against Poverty, doing debt counselling work. Winter Night Shelter, which we host here on a Wednesday night. Future Skills, working with kids who are excluded from education. There's the Infused Youth Cafe. There's Night Pastors. There's Prison Alpha. Um, and there's a support net, which is a relatively new initiative, but it's there to connect where the people need in the congregation or known to the congregation and uh, direct resources directly to them. And so there are volunteering opportunities on the website, and so there's lots of opportunities to get involved. Um, but also, it's not just about volunteering for things. It's just simply about spending time with each other. Um, you know, no agendas, just t talking, getting to know each other, um, and, and finding out. Uh, about each other because and also volunteering for projects is great and community projects are vital for supporting people but we don't want to be just a church that does fantastic community projects we want to be a church that builds fantastic friendships with people and through those friendships introduce them to Jesus so um, if you are volunteering for a community project pray for those opportunities where you can take those relationships deeper and um, get to know people as friends but also, the third thing is there are practical issues, there are practical barriers. You might live in a shared house or a studio flat, so it's difficult to bring people back and have them around for dinner. Or you may have little money yourself. So, you know, again, get part of a group. There might be somebody who's got a house that's useless at cooking. You can help them uh, do the cooking there. Or you may find it difficult to meet up with people. But... Um, what you could do is you could talk to somebody and after church they might be saying they're struggling with something and say, okay, I'll pray for you and then text them or WhatsApp them. Uh, and don't underestimate that power of those texts and those WhatsApp where you're encouraging people so that people know they're not forgotten, that they are remembered and that they are loved. And that's, that's really important. Um, the fourth barrier is what I was good old-fashioned selfishness. Um, and again, this is, I've struggled with this constantly. A simple fact of the matter is, you, if you're sharing your money, your, your life, your possessions, it is going to cost you. And you will mean that you won't be able to do some stuff that your mates are doing. Um, but the way to combat that is just to remember to keep your eyes on heaven, on, the, on putting your things that are of eternal value. Um, basically, the best way of combating selfishness is to practice generosity. Uh, and if you're here and if you're fortunate enough to have money, a bit of financial security in a house, it's brilliant because God has designed it to be a win-win situation. You get to give your money and stuff away to people that, um, to need it. And because Jesus is very clear that money and possessions is a major barrier to people uh, living in faith in God. So you get to give that stuff that's, that potentially blocks you from Jesus and you get to give it to people who uh, then helps them who are struggling with their daily bread to know they're loved by, loved by you and by God. Um, so 
it's great. So you could, you know, give some money away. You could donate to any of the community projects we mentioned. Uh, the food bank are doing a uh, Lent initiative where you can donate to them, uh, giving up something else instead. But also, not just about donating. If if you've got a bit of cash. Um, you know, also spend it on some outrageous hospitality. Have a big party, invite lots of people, not just your friends, but other, you know, uh, people who you don't know so well who could, who could do with a bit of a laugh. Um, invite people out for meals, take people on holiday. Um, you know, spend some of your money on time and relationships. You know, that is, I think sometimes we think we've got to invest it in very sensible things, but actually we need to be modeling God's wonderful generosity. Uh, and so often doing that is by doing wonderful things for people with with people um, the final barrier is um, struggling with disappointment or just generally being a bit knackered and um, because I think it's this thing of you know sharing our lives with people uh, we can be disappointed maybe how people have been with us or how we've been with people and we have this myth in this world of, of a quick win but actually our lives just go like this and I know if I look at my own life there's kind of problems and issues in me that are fairly stubborn and keep repeating a depressing regularity. And I think we have to remember that Jesus is very patient with us, and so we need to be patient with each other. Um, and so, um, and he says in Galatians, uh, Galatians 6, verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. And in Hebrews 10, it says, And let us consider how we may spur one another on towards love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. So again, you know, meet in small groups, swap stories, encourage each other, spur each other on. And there are some great books that we, well, I say we read, Sarah reads and then tells me them, and I don't have to read them. So there's people like Ash Barker, Shane Claiborne, Francis Chan, Daniel Strickland, Jean Vanier. They all have some fabulous books that are really encouraging. And keep coming back to God, sharing our lives with each other, particularly with those who are struggling and marginalized, is what God wants us to do, and it is worth it. And as we do it, we get to be called friends of God. Now, if you're here sitting there and you're actually personally struggling and could do with some help, um, please talk to somebody. Talk to one of the pastoral staff or talk to somebody in a home group. And if you're not part of a home group, again, talk to the pastoral staff to get plugged into one. And it is really difficult. I think Christians, we ought to be the most upfront about how rubbish we are and how we're sinners and we're struggling with things. But we actually often put up holiness shields and try and pretend everything's all right. And it, basically, we just need to talk with each other and say when we're struggling and for us as a family to come around and, and support um, each other. And, and so just in closing, I mean, I've uh, been involved with Smarts for 14 years and it, it's a phenomenal church and I see loads of individuals who give their lives sacrificially and done some amazing things and it's just as a church to encourage us to sort of dig deeper and wider to share our lives more so that we can be known for our outrageous hospitality and generosity um, and yeah that's my lot but thanks a lot cheers